We are talking about cover cropping, cover cropping strategies, cover cropping methods, why you would cover crop, the benefits of cover crop, what happens in the soil, what is the proper plants to put out as cover crop, and what can you expect when you get going with this besides being judged by your neighbors. Welcome to Extreme Ag's Cutting the Curve podcast, where you get a guaranteed return on investment of your time as we cut your learning curve with the information you can apply to your farming operation immediately. Extreme Ag, we've already made the mistakes, so you don't have to. Managing your farm's water resources is a critical component to a successful and sustainable farming operation. Advanced Drainage Systems helps farmers just like you increase their yields up to 30% with their technologically advanced water management products. Visit ADSPipe.com to see how they can keep your business flowing. Now, here's your host, Damian Mason. Greetings and welcome to another fantastic episode of Extreme Ag's Cutting the Curve. We're going to lead off this conversation with Temple Rhodes. Temple's an affiliate with Extreme Ag. He's in the eastern shore of Maryland. That's right. They do have agriculture out there. If you're like from the great Midwest, you're saying, what? Maryland? They like grew crabs out there. <laughs> Well, no, he's an agricultural producer and he's darn good at it. In fact, he's uh, had a very high placing uh, recently. Uh, the announcement came out from the National Corn Grow Association. He's like number one in Maryland and like nationally ranked number three or something. He can tell us all about that. But we're not here to talk about corn necessarily. We're here to talk about cover crops. But as it fits in his operation, he's going to be our lead off before uh, we let him tell you about his operation and using cover crops. Kelly Garrett, area in Iowa, one of the founders of Extreme Ag, um, has some pretty slopey ground out there. So he's a cover crop guy and generally a no-till guy. Matt Swanson, another Extreme Ag affiliate in Western Illinois. Matt is, uh, uh, he says, been doing cover crops since he was in high school, which dawned on him has been almost 20 years. So anyway, he's the youthful member on this uh, podcast. I've been hearing about cover cropping since I was a little kid, Temple. I wanted to be an agronomist. I went to the FFA National Land and Pasture and Soil Analysis Competition in Kansas uh, or in Oklahoma, as it were. I'm like, man, I'm going to be an agronomist. And I'm like, you know what we need? We need to have cover crops out here. It holds the soil, keeps things like from the Dust Bowl from happening, uh, enriches stuff, uh, prevents erosion. Um that was 1987. Here it is 35 years later. We are still not doing cover crops like I thought 35 years ago we should be doing more of. What the hell happened? Why are we not doing it? Talk to us about cover crops from your perspective, because you've been doing it the longest, 30 years there in Maryland. So out here in Maryland, it kind of got, um, I'm not going to say it got pushed on us, but they had an incentive program that started in 1993. Um, how I came up with that number, because I didn't know exactly what it was. My father keeps a daily log, a daily diary of everything. So I got him to go back and he went back in the first cover crop program that he pulled a check out of that the state of Maryland did. And it was just on the eastern shore. It wasn't on the western shore. It was just in our specific watershed area for the Chesapeake Bay. They were trying to redu reduce the nitrate and the phosphate that actually they thought was going in the bay. So they came up with a program and they incentivized it for us, you know, very much like, you know, fooling with the carbon credits. All these things kind of play together with each other. So they incentivized it years ago. It wasn't very much money. And it's gotten to a point it's grown over the years. And we've tried a lot of different uh a lot of different ones. We've tried cl cl clover cover crops, um, cereal grain cover crops, rye, wheat, and we've tested all of them uh, on each other mm -hmm. and took all of them to yield. 
what we've found is, you know, a cover crop program for us in our specific soil type, what works the best for us is a cereal grain cover crop mixed with like a little bit of a legume in there. That seems to give us our biggest bang for our buck. We get the most return out of that. It pays a little bit better on ours. So we, our incentivization on ours, it, it's kind of like a, it's a stair-step program. So it's, it's a base payment that you get. And then for doing different things, you get paid a little bit more. If you plant prior to a certain date, you get paid a little bit more um, depending on your biomass that you get put out there. You also can get paid more in our area if you kill it later. So if you kill it off after May 1st, yeah. you can actually get a bigger bonus for that. So we got a, a bunch of different programs that uh, we use. Um, we've even got cover crop programs where if you put up to three uh, different mixes in there and then you cover crop it and then you put cattle on that uh, livestock of some sort, you can get a bigger base payment on that as well. Now it's a three-year lock-in. So there's a lot of different programs out yeah, here. Yeah, but wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. You're talking about all these programs. And you know what? I get notices from the Farm Service Agency. Hell, my brother works for the Farm Service Agency. He's not telling me that there's all these programs where you get money for when you plant, how many different species you plant, how late you terminate. Is this something that nobody else knows about? Or is it specific to the Eastern Shore of Maryland? It's specific for the Chesapeake Bay watershed. And well, what about the rest of us, Temple? You know what? So, okay. So, like so let me tell Alabama. you this. So rem remember we talked about the carbon credits. We had a carbon credit um, cutting the yeah. curve podcast. And we talked about that. And Kelly gets incentivized for cover crops and different things through the, the, the carbon credit program. Well, we can't do that. I can't play in both pools. They, that automatically gets cut out. So all these things that we have been doing that they put in place for us and our, and our, you know, watershed, our area or whatever you want to call it, we can't play in both, both ends. So I got it. I'm going to ask you a couple of quick fire questions. Does do cover okay. crops go on every acre at uh, CMF? Absolutely. 100%. 100%. Yep. You cover crop everything. Okay. Let's go over to Matt. 100%. Matt Swanson, you said you started doing this. Normally, I'll go to Kelly. He always has a lot to say, but I figure I'm going to go to you because you were nodding your head there for a couple of reasons when you were listening to Temple. You've been doing this since you were in high school. You didn't even, you probably didn't even want to be an agronomist like me. You probably didn't even go to Oklahoma and the FFA thing. And you probably like just think, oh, yeah, like I already know this. So anyway, give us your vast knowledge, you know, typical millennial. So, tip, so what we were doing when I was a kid was we were using them as a feed source for our stocker cattle. So over the winter, um, any feed that you can grow, you don't have to buy, right? So, so you put you put crop on at, at time of harvest, meaning if you harvested a field in October, you got something growing on it. And the idea was then you have some vegetation, you can put stocker cattle out there for most of winter and they can be eaten for free. So typically, well, see, typically what we would do is we would aerial seed that into standing corn. Um, and then take the corn off, you'd have a little bit of growth. You may have about a month where that grows kind of unmolested while we're getting new groups straightened out and things like that. And then we would turn them out over the winter. And that wouldn't be their entire food source. That would be a, a supplement, right? So turn them out on stocks. Now, you know, typically in the past, it would be just stocks. Well, now you've got some oats growing or so, you've got- So basically, rye. did you use oats? Is that what you used? We used oats. Uh, we've used cereal rye. We've used triticale. Um, 
So Most those are the ones I've heard about and that you can go aerial. And the person that says, wait a minute, this is crazy. Because I've heard about it and everybody on this call has, but there's probably someone listening right now say, wait a minute. So you're talking about going out there like in September, end of September? August usually. Yeah, August. Usually August. Yep. So what we want to do is catch a rain and get it established. And it won't get very big, but it'll at least get going. Uh, All right. This might sound silly. By the time you're going out there in August in our part of the world, and you're in Western Illinois, Corn plants, great big. You're talking about putting oats. Oats weigh 30 pounds a bushel. I would think that an oat would fly out of an airplane and then hang out on like one of the leaves on the corn plant until a bird landed and ate it. Does it actually get to the ground? Well, it might, but you're going to rain. A lot of it's going to get down and then you're going to, every time it rains, you're going to knock some of that off and, and seed it. So it's kind of like doing a broadcast application with a, with a spreader. Um, you just don't have the option to incorporate until till the corn comes off. So. Aerial application, um, I don't know, like seven bucks an acre, I think is the number in my head, if they go out and put fungicide on a field. Do they charge more than that to broadcast seed something? I'd have to look because it's been a while since we've done it, but I think it's 10, 12 now to do it aerial. And you still could justify doing it, putting this on, but that was getting animal feed out of it. If you didn't have animal feed, would there still be a payoff? Yeah, so for us in my area where we have a combination of the black prairie soils and the timber soils, Timber soils really respond to having roots and carbon in them all the time. Um, and it's probably not unlike what te Temple's dealing with in his soils out there, I would guess. I don't know that. I'm just speculating. But um, having those living roots going all the time or as much of the year as you can, um, can it just does wonders for soil porosity and water infiltration and a lot of things. Erosion, excuse me, on those hillsides, especially where you have beans the year before because beans don't have a lot of stubble. Um, so having something now, growing to, to open up the soil, to get it in, go ahead. Well, that's my one question in your part of the world, the soybeans are going to come off three weeks sooner than the corn. Let's say that'd give you three weeks of germination. Why wouldn't you just cover crop the soybean acres? Uh, as soon as the combine goes through, have a drill running behind them. You're not paying 12 bucks an acre for aerial application. You can get a cereal type of a crop growing in there quite a bit sooner. It seems to me that if you're going to cover crop, not every acre, wouldn't it be smart to just follow the combine after the soybeans? Well, the problem is the cover crops that guys are a little scared of growing corn into cover crops and for valid reasons, because I've had it work really well and I've had it go very, very badly. You mean the uh, following, meaning the next year? After yeah. The meaning the next year, if you don't have something that winter kills or you don't kill it way in advance. Um, we've tried planting green into cover crops, corn into cover crops, and sometimes it works really well. Um, and sometimes it doesn't work so good. So why? typically it's a nutrient tie up situation uh, where the cover crops taking up a lot of the available nutrition. And there's and since they're all since they're all grass plants, it's it's kind of too similar. Is that the thing? Well, it's it's guys attribute it to allopathy, and there's you'll hear that word a lot around corn and cover crops, especially. Usually, in you're going to explain you're going to explain that word to me and at least half of our listeners. Basically, what it means is you have two grass crops, and one grass crop pisses off the other one and doesn't grow very well. Yeah. So essentially, the cover crop pisses off the corn crop, doesn't grow very well. Reality, what we have seen is it's typically a nutrient issue. Like you have a cover a growing crop that say first of May can get pretty big, pretty fast. And it takes up a lot of the available nutrition. And if you don't have nutrition on your planter, um, you know, that corn plant is setting yield very early in its life. And if it has low nutrition, it's going to respond to that low nutrition, even if it, you're going to get it to it later. 
Kelly, you are a cover crop guy now. I think that you've been doing it the least longest, but you've got the biggest need for arguably with the sloping less hill type ground out there in Northwest Iowa. And you obviously are bought into it enough. You're now producing your own seed. You're growing some oats just to be used as cover crop. So kind of give us your cover crop journey. You know, it used to be my dad said it was hard enough to grow one crop, let alone trying to grow two, and he didn't want to do it. And that seemed to be a logical, reasonable statement to me as a young man. Um, then, you know, like in 2015, we started growing wheat. And then we started, you know, using that wheat as a cover crop. Um, because at that time, there was a lot of talk about different species of plants and things like this. And you needed to mix up a lot of stuff, uh, multiple species. I kind of felt that as long as something was growing, yep. it was it was better than nothing. And we would just save some of that winter wheat seed and use as the cover crops. You know, and then in 2016, after playing around with it for a year or two, we we tried to be 100 percent cover crops in our northern latitude. It's hard. That's the reason for the aerial seeding here. You know, like by the time I harvest some 113 day corn, you're going to have a hard time getting a, a cover crop to germinate. Yeah. You know, but but now now we uh, especially in our soybean acres where we desiccate the soybeans and we're taking them out right after Labor Day, we can get tremendous fall growth. And we. Uh, well, yeah. And we wait, start- wait, 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 wait. Just go to what? Um, what do you call it? Alopecia? Ali allegory? Ali McBeal? What's the word again, Swanson? Alleopathy. Alleopathy. If you're putting in, I actually knew that. And if you're putting in um, a wheat after your soybeans, that makes sense. A lot of people plant wheat after soybeans, but then you're coming back and doing crops. I'm uh, sorry, a corn crop. Yep. Don't you then run the risk of alopathy? Well, Matt, Matt is correct. You know, the weed suppression, the things that go on there, uh, but we do have uh, fertility on our planet. And we we feel that as long as we can get the cover crop killed, terminated, they don't like to use the word killed, get the cover crop terminated, that it's okay. But Matt Matt is correct. If you didn't have fertility on your planter, it can be a struggle. We uh, One mistake we made early on is we switched from wheat to rye, and we would plant like 40, 50 pounds of rye. And then all that comes up in the spring, and you're like, holy cow, you know, that can be hard to plant through. Now that's the reason we added the oats. The oats grow more in the fall and they don't come back. So we're two thirds oats, one third rye. So there will only be, and we planted like, oh, we planted about 42 pounds. So there's only going to be, hopefully, there'll be about 14 pounds of rye growing instead of 44 pounds of rye growing. And it will be much less of a struggle to plant into in the spring of 23. I, uh, it, it has been a journey. Uh, and I, uh, you know, I hesitated a couple of times. You, bend your head against the wall in a field with some struggles like Matt talked about, but we kept with it. And I, I think it's going to be okay. Now it's, it's tremendous cattle feed. We actually just chased cattle on Saturday off of a cover crop field. And, yeah, approaching- and I want to talk about the, the mix and I've got some, some stuff that I've read and I want to get your perception uh, perspective on that before I do that, dear listener and viewer to extreme as kind of curve. Did you know that corn stalks retain up to 80% of the potassium, 40% of the phosphorus and 30% of the nitrogen that you applied to last year's corn crop? Think about that. 80% of the P, uh, okay. Uh, 40% of the P and 30% of the N is out there still. So with these kind of fertility prices, why wouldn't you look at how you can save money and boost your yields by extracting last year's fertility for this year's crop? 
How do you do that? By applying extract powered by Accomplish to your surface crop residue, exclusively available from Nutrient Ag Solutions. Uh, Agrison is a great business partner of ours, and you can get their products at Nutrient Ag Solutions. If you want more information about this, contact your local Nutrient Ag Solutions crop consultant about extracting resources from last year's corn residue. All right. about All right. The- I got something. I'm going to follow that up. I'm glad you brought that up. So we're talking about cover crops and we're talking about the green root system and, and you just brought up extract, you know, it's a residue breakdown type of product. We need to talk about that. So we produced all of this stover. We, uh, I have a cover crop tool that I built, which is basically a turbo till hooked to a, um, an air seeder and I blow it all on at one time. When we get done, we put a product like extract on and we're breaking down that residue and we're up, we're trying to get it broke down, put it into the cover crop. And then when we're going to, when we, you know, terminate that new crop, we are going to take that crop off because it's easier to turn that back into an organic form. So that next crop can take it up. And if you use products like these residue breakdown things, these actually can I mean, this is some of the things that we've been doing to help promote yield. This is a way bigger deal than people realize. Now, going back to what Matt and Kelly were talking about, you know, some of the decreased yield of following a grass crop on a grass crop, part of that, what everybody, it's not just nutrients. It is disease. You know, you have a corn disease and you have all this stover out there and all winter long, you got this disease that's building and it's there. It hasn't gone anywhere. That pathogen just found another host. That host is your cover crop. So in the fall, Kelly and I've had extensive conversations about this. When that crop, you know, when you terminate that crop, your cover crop, and you're getting ready to put your corn crop in, that's part of the decrease in yield. You know, you think part of it is just, it's, it's grass crop on a grass crop. That's true, but it's not all that. There is disease pressure that's in there that we don't even realize that we have because when that pathogen goes from the host of the cover crop, it's going to find a new host. Well, guess what it is? It's your corn. So if there's something that you can put in there like preaxor in your burn down when you're terminating that cover crop, that will help alleviate that struggle in yield. Here's one of the things. Hold on, Damien, before you get started. To piggyback on what Temple just said, essentially what you've done by putting that growing cover crop in there is you've kept your soil alive for the that mm-hmm. next for those six months. Okay, so we've actually done trials where we've gone out and pulled temperatures on cover crops, soil temperatures. I'm talking about on cover crops versus bare ground or just stubble, and you get into a March and those soils are four to five degrees warmer under a good cover crop than they are in a bare, in a bare uh, soil situation. And that's all coming from biology. By the way, so isn't that good? Because if it's five degrees warmer, yeah. you're getting yes. that soil biology working earlier in the season. Yeah. So that's one of the great things about a growing cover crop in the season is, is that biology is already going on those roots. Yeah. So once your next crop gets planted, it really just has to move. Okay. You're not trying to restart that system in April or May when you've replanted that crop. 
that same biology that that Matt's talking about is also the same biology that's going to help break down all your residue all throughout those winter months. So he's right. That green root system is doing a lot more than just save some nutrients, wind erosion. There's a lot of things going on by keeping that soil alive, like Matt said. Um, I want to throw it out there that uh, that thing that Kelly said. I, I'm of the opinion, like right now on my acres all have something. There's either alfalfa or the corn acres got a triticale uh, product put on them, which will be chopped off for silage uh, for the, my operator. And I was of the opinion, I'd really have something growing out there, meaning one crop is better than just bare soil. But now he's doing, Kelly's doing a one third, two thirds ride of oat mix. Gabe Brown wrote the book Dirt to Soil, all about regenerative agriculture. I've read it and I agree with a lot of his assessment about, you know, conventional agriculture is working against what soil wants to do. And one of his big points is if you let an area of soil grow, it's going to have not one species. It's not going to be a monoculture. It's going to have multiple things and that's better. Should we now really be talking if we're going to cover crop? three species, five species, seven species, what should we be doing? So, I, I mean, for me personally, let's get the one right first, right? Yeah. I mean, cause it's, this is a, this is a management step and it's a big one, right? Um, to get it, management get because you're right. saying most people just harvest and then come back in the spring and that's it. Yeah. You got to, I mean, you're adding a whole nother thing to your system, right? And starting with something like oats, like Kelly's talking about, especially fall planted oats, that's kind of an, that's easy button, right? Because the oats are going to die. Yeah. Right. You don't have to do anything with them in the spring. As opposed to triticale, out, rye, or wheat, which now you've got to terminate them come spring. Right. And if you go out, like this is a mistake that we made early. So we, you know, we grow triticale for cattle feed and we're going to plant that at hundred to 110 pounds. Well, guess what? You plant hundred to 110 pounds as a cover crop and then try to deal with it. That's a problem. That's a real just, problem. It just thick, it just thick as all get out, right? It's, it's five feet tall and it's gigantic, right? Yeah. And it's not a good situation. And I've planted beans into that, into five foot tall turtle kale, and it does work and it works really well. But that is a gigantic management leap that I was scared of, to be yeah. honest, the first time I did. By the way, when you did that, cereal. did you run through, plant it, and then spray it and kill it immediately? Or had it already been killed? Uh, no, we. I can't remember. We either sprayed it right before or right after. Uh, but it's, I mean, it's something because I, that's the first time I did it. I did it with somebody else's planner and he actually got a little ticked because we rubbed the, the paint off of the front of the toolbar yeah. from it running off, you know, running the rye off. Yeah. Okay. So, so out started... here, out here, um, our minimum requirement is that you can put it on your cover crop is two bushels an acre on cereal grains. So it's a heavy, heavy dose. Wow. So what I was getting at is if you're going to do this, your no-till gain better be strong. It's yeah. point blank period. Like you have to be strong because it's that or you're going to fight chemistry, um, cold weather. Uh, you can't get the kill that you want. You can't get the burn down. So our first day that we can terminate our cover crop is March 1st. So we try to go as hard as we can and we put as many products in there as we can to make that system, our burn down system, really, really hot to get the best burn down that we can because it is something that you're going to fight and it is not fun. These guys are right. So you're trying to terminate. You're trying to terminate 
as close to March 1st as possible. So then there actually is something that's not living in that soil. If you don't plant until mid late April, you've got six weeks of no living. It's because it's so hard for us at 120 pounds per acre of a cereal grain like wheat. Um, it's so hard to plant through. It's almost impossible. Now there is some guys out here that have done it, but their cover crop game is really strong. You know, um, Kelly knows all the tools that have to be put on planters in order to make this thing um, really work well. And it, and it does work well, but there is a lot that goes into it and a lot of battles that you're going to have to fight all right. in order to get to. This might sound stand. just completely silly, but what if you use cover crops for the benefit of overwintering, but then you spring tilled? Uh, I assume that first off, the programs don't want you to do that where you are, but it would still work, right? I don't know, Matt and Kelly. It's, uh, it's not that easy. Um, no. Because I'd rather know such a huge. Yeah. So it's one of the things we'll strip till. Yeah. It does, think it strip, just, go ahead, Temple. <clears throat> no, Kelly was getting ready to say something. Go ahead, Kelly. It, it, you know, kind of like if we tear up a pasture that's been in brome or something like that, and you try to tear up that sod, I would Ray rather terminate it with chemical and no-till into it. I'm going to have way more success with like seed to soil contact and things like that than trying to till it. It'll take to, to do it right, in my opinion, it takes multiple passes of tillage across the field, and we're defeating all the purpose we're doing with the cover That's, crops. I, 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 I wanted you to, I was basically thinking no. that, not to mention, as you said, you've got clumps of, uh, of a sod and a, yeah. a layer that's just uh, not going to do it. Matt, you were getting ready to say something about that point. Yeah, so there's actually, uh, I read a couple of his books. There's a guy in Wisconsin that He's a hard till no till guy. He's also an organic guy now. And one of the things that they've been working extensively with the last 10 years or so is the um is is the green manure concept, which is basically what you're talking about, working it in mm -hmm. as a green manure. And essentially what they're doing is they're using one of the new high speed disc type uh implements. Yeah. And it for him it works very well. Um that being said, that's a lot of tillage and he's pretty flat. Um, that's not something that I would want to do where Kelly's at, especially in about half of my acres, that would not be suitable. I think the idea of strip tilling into a cover crop is fantastic. Um, but again, that's another level of management and another piece of equipment. You Matt, know. you talked about when I said, you know, when I was quoting the book, Dirt to Soil and all that, but there is really big, uh, provable benefits to soil biology when you now use three or five or something like this five or seven different species and i know a guy that's a a cover an organic guy and not because he's a zealot just because it makes better margins and he does like an 11 species mix of cover cropping um because it gets you know you get bigger benefits kind of like synergistic uh, impact on that but you said well let's crawl before we walk um what you've been doing this for 20 years why are you not to the point where you're doing seven species because you know our the main goal for the first 15 years of that was just to feed cattle right so we did oats turnips radishes things like that and then they all winter killed right yeah. um probably five years ago we did the planting green experiment um we did the five foot tall soybean planting into thing and a lot of those we had added um hairy vetch to those as a legume that would overwinter consistently because we want to yep. get our money out of that seed right 
if you, anybody's ever messed with Harry Vetch, when you try to run something with lots of points through a field with Harry Vetch on it, it wraps on everything, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. which is a learning experience, let me tell you, and one that you will only do once. I can yeah, tell it's you. It's like that. a vine. Uh, okay. Yeah, it's a vine, and it wraps around everything. Anything with a point, a row cleaner, a closing wheel, which if you're a no-till guy, you've probably got spiked closing wheels. Well, guess what doesn't work in Harry Vetch? A spiked closing wheel, or it doesn't work very well. Got it. Uh, at least in its original, you know. Okay, so people. so Harry Vetch is a no-no, but we could still be doing a clover and a couple of other things to be bringing in the nitrogen aspect of it. So are you going to go there? Yeah, so one of the things that I'm looking at, so maybe to back up a little bit, one of the reasons that we're renewing it again is we ha- I had two experiences. We did that planting green corn experiment, and the corn that year was not good because we didn't get the fertility right. The next year we planted beans in that, and I could tell you exactly where that strip of cover crops or block of cover crops at because the beans were 10 bushel better, and it was bright as day, square, right on the yield map. So that was experience number one. And this was a timber soil, okay? So timber soils, the ones we have the most trouble with are the ones that are most responsive in my area to a cover crop. So that was that was number one. The second experience was around the same time, might have been the next year, I have a field, I had a field at time that's mostly timber soil and we planted a cover crop in the early fall, as early as we could get it on. And then we put in hydrus through that in uh, probably October, November, November probably. And that soil was so mellow when we were putting in hydrus on. So this is one of my harder to pull soils as far as pull a tillage open went through. That field pulled easier than I've ever remembered it pulling in my life. So that was the the two things. So one of the things that we're trying to do with the cover crop is add more grown carbon into our system. And the problem with soybeans is that they are a carbon negative crop, right? So essentially we're going backwards in our soybean year as far as soil carbon goes. One of the things we can do with cover crops is eliminate that problem. So even if you just go to a wheat, which is grown for cash, but you have the same benefit of having that cover crop grown over the winter. And what we found in those rotations by adding those things in is our soil carbon numbers explode in that situation when you keep those grass or those cover crops grown in. So going forward, what I'd like to do is figure out a clover that's will overwinter consistently here because that's the problem we're going to have is what can we get to plant that will overwinter and how long do I have to leave it growing to get the nitrogen benefit out of it? Okay, I got a question then uh, for probably Temple first, but I don't know, probably both uh, Temple and Kelly, because I'm hearing about this. First off, I didn't know that soybeans were a carbon negative uh, uh, thing. Thanks, thanks, Matt. Money. Uh, If the state of Maryland or the FSA didn't give you money to do this, can you still justify it? Matt just used a real good example. He said, I could pinpoint where I got 10 more bushels the next year because he he attributes to cover crops. So cover crops do make you yield on your next crop. And the average person would say, how would that be? Or I disagree, or that won't work here. You tell me, does it pencil out Temple? Um, in, In my scenario, basically what they pay barely cover seed cost and uh and and putting it in so it is most definitely a benefit for me now if we took that money away to tell you the truth i think that it's built our soil and every year that goes by of yeah. all the cover cropping that that's happened every year our soil gets a little better and a little bit better um 
If you don't believe me, look at some of the yields that are put up in the state of Maryland. We don't have Midwest ground, yeah. you know, and, and we're still putting up good numbers. So I think that that's all due to the fact that, you know, the state of Maryland for the last 30 years and Delaware as well. But I mean, they've been really adamant about getting this cover crop program out there. So it's made us be better farmers. You know, we've talked about the fact of, you know, our nutrient management plan. I think that it's made us out here be better farmers, pay more attention. This is no different. Can you give me a dollar amount, Kelly, that you think that, because uh, it costs you something to go out there and drive around and plant this stuff. You've got a hired guy, you've got the piece of equipment, you've got the diesel, you've obviously got, you know, then the cost of the seed, even though, well, I grew it myself. Well, if you didn't grow oats to stick in your mix, you could sell those oats. So there's there's a cost. There is cost, you know, we're, uh, but as far as growing it ourselves, when you look at the, the cost of purchasing that versus raising it, I don't think there's a lot of cost there, one versus the other. There is a cost to having that drill, going out there with the tractor, the hired guy, the fuel, you know, but the long-term soil. There's a cost to putting 20 of your acres into oats to become cover crop that could be 20 acres that's producing corn to go to the elevator. It, there is, but that's what I mean. If you look at if you look at what I would have to go purchase the oats for versus the corn, yeah. I, I don't think it's a lot. And what we try to do is put, you know, the oats or the rye or even the winter wheat crop we try to put that on on soils that we think need a little help from a soil health perspective the more crops in your rotation the more healthier your soil will be the better your yields will be so we're trying to do that to put a number on it though it's that's i can't can you, i believe matt, it helps i believe matt, it helps but i can't matt, put a number like matt can you give me a number matt that you say um how much is it going to cost me to plant cover crops i'm going to do it on a thousand of my acres am i talking 25 bucks uh, you could probably get it done for 25, um, depending on what you want to spend. We, and, you know, in, in my area and I assume Kelly's as well, you know, we have programs like equip and some of these other things that are still government programs that, that will pay depending on what you're doing now versus what you're going to try. So okay, I can government. tell you that there are several large growers around us that have utilized equip to get started. And once they they quit using Equip, they continue to cover crops. So I think yeah. that probably tells you what they're seeing. Yeah, it tells you that there's there's a oh. benefit. And they're yeah. doing this, their seeding system is the same as as Temple's. They use a, a sulfur tool or a vertical tillage tool with a with an air seeder and have some. They have a custom applied, so they're not even doing it themselves. Um, but then they yeah. grow like Kelly does. They're growing their own seed to bring their cost up. Well, I just, I mean, if we use the number 25 or just say 30 bucks, 30 bucks, then my benefit is I get 30, I need 30 bucks of gain or 30 bucks of soil improvement. And, you know, it's hard for farmers because soil improvement means 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. You're talking about creating a better asset, but it's not going to necessarily pay you back tomorrow. No, it's not. But I think in that you'll start to see some results, you know, for us, it was year two in that one particular situation, but the tougher the soil is the quicker those results are probably going to happen. If you have a beautiful soil that's well-drained, it's going to take you longer to see those benefits in my experience. But All right, Kelly, yeah, but in, a, in a previous episode, you said uh, the, the number one, what's the, the, the most yield-limiting or uh, money-limiting statement in agriculture is we've always done it this way? Most successful statement in agriculture is we've always done it this way. I'm going to throw you a little rapid fire here because I hear this all the time. Well, that's good for Kelly and Matt and Temple to talk about this, but that won't work in my area. Answer me. I, I've heard this about everything, whether it's cover crops or anything, but yes. 
If you can't take 10% of your acres and do a little research trial, you're already broke and you just don't know it. Why would they say, Matt, that this can't work in my area? Because I hear it all the time. Okay, even our own Matt Miles tells you he can't do cover crops because it'll get in the way of his uh, flood irrigation or something like that. What's your answer to the people say it won't work? Well, I mean, there's obstacles to everything, right? I mean, uh, you know, for us, it's a, it's a, what's the harvest timing? What's the crop going in? Yeah. Again, I know Matt's tried cover crops because I've been down there when he's had some. And it's a management practice that has to be managed just like anything else, but he's also growing wheat. And that's okay. okay. Um, I'm in Alberta. I'm, I'm our buddy, Riley Anderson up in Manitoba, which they, they, they still, they actually pull their combines with sled dogs. I think um, he's going to tell you that they can't do cover crops because they don't have enough season after harvest. What's your answer to them? Temple, you're a smart guy. What should he think about? Well, you know, Moving, moving where, 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 where there's a will, there's a way, you know, if you really want to do something, I don't care if you're Matt down South or you're Riley up North, there's a million different cover crops that you can try. And there's a way to put them on. Now, whether you have to put it on earlier in the season to get some type of benefit out of it, you know, I, I'm not saying that Riley couldn't go in and fly a cover crop on in July to get some type of benefit out of it mm -hmm. where there's a will, there's a way. And we got to think outside the box. It can't be a tradition bound agriculture anymore. Um, I'm going to go because uh, in the interest of time here, Temple said, if you're going to use cover crops, you got to make sure you are on top of your no-till game. That's what I kind of got from everybody. And then from Matt Swanson, uh, start with the one thing. Yeah, there might be an argument to be made for seven species, but for God's sakes, let's start with one or then two. And they started because of livestock feed. Kelly, your thing. Then uh, I got those two brilliant statements for them. What's your brilliant statement on cover crops? It's good for your soil health. It's good for nutrient availability. It's good for weed suppression. It's good for moisture retention. And you should give it a try. And then my last one, because I've heard this also, so I'm just going with the thing, the talk I hear. Well, I can't get the stuff killed. Termination. Uh, is termination that big of a deal, Matt? It, it needs to be done properly. Okay. There are some steps you got to do to do it correctly, but it's not that big a deal in my experience and some of the stuff dies out over winter. when it's done properly right there's there's a way to do it but it's not that hard i guess is what i'm trying to get across uh -huh. and then for the last one's for you temple because you got the most experience i've heard about uh aerial applications like 10 years ago and then all of a sudden it got it blew over cereal rye onto the neighbor's field and then they got a lawsuit and they said we'll never do cover crops again what's your answer to them um there there was some of that um there was some talk about, you know, that was how we got Italian ryegrass spread around. Yeah. But there's so much that goes on here in our area with the aerial cover crops. I don't do a, a tremendous amount of it just because if you have a really, really dense crop, it doesn't matter if you have a really dense crop of irrigated corn or soybeans. It's hard to get a really good, good stand. Um and if you can't get a good stand, you can't get good tillers, you can't get a good root system established, why are we doing this? So I took a stance back and said, I'm not going to do as much aerial. Um, that's why we built the cover crop tool and we take care of it ourselves and we get it in the ground, right? And, and, and plow forward like that. So uh, there's, again, where there's a will, there's a way. You've got to be able to get around that. This is a good thing, not a bad thing. 
I think it's a good thing. I think we all agree it's a good thing. I think there's a good topic also. I know it went a little bit long. It's almost 40 minutes, but you know what, dear listener and viewer, you just got great information from, uh, I'm going around the curve here, 30 years of cover cropping in Maryland, uh, 20 years for uh, Matt, and then what, at least the last five to 10 years in area in Iowa with Kelly Yaris. You're talking about, you know, 50 plus years of experience here in three different geographies. So it's well worth your time to spend 40 minutes with us as it would be well spent if you listen to any of our other stuff. Please go back and listen to all the stuff that Extreme Ag produces. Videos of these guys on farm. Stuff where they're just saying, hey, one thing I'm doing right here. It's amazing. It's great information. It's also all free. If you want to take it to the next level and become a paid member of Extreme Ag, it's 750 bucks a year. You're going to get that much information like every week. It's worth it. Trust me. Anyway, share stuff with somebody you think can benefit from ExtremeMag.farm. Until next time, that's Temple Roads of Maryland, Matt Swanson of Illinois, and Kelly Garrett, one of our founders from Iowa. My name's Damian Mason. Thanks for being here. That's a wrap for this episode of Cutting the Curve, but there's plenty more. Check out ExtremeMag.farm, where you can find past episodes, instructional videos, and articles to help you squeeze more profit out of your farm. Cutting the Curve is brought to you by Advanced Drainage Systems, the leader in agriculture water management solutions.